So on February 19, 1519, there was a Spanish explorer named Hernan Cortez. And he set sail for Mexico, a place that they would call the New World. He set sail with an entourage of 11 ships, 13 horses, and 110 sailors, in addition to 553 soldiers. The indigenous people, or the people that were populating the area at that time, upon his arrival, their population was around 5 million people. I think we can safely say he was outnumbered, <laughs> right? From a purely mathematical standpoint, he was so outnumbered that the odds were completely stacked against him by a ratio of around 7,541 people to one. That's insane. I don't know about you, I think a lot of myself, but I could not beat up 7,500 people at one time. And so the two previous, uh, going into this thing, there was two previous expeditions by two previous explorers that came in and they were trying to do the same thing and they failed miserably. I mean, if you're outnumbered 7,500 to one, I can see why. And they failed to establish any kind of settlement in what they called the New World. Yet Cortez had already conquered um, much of the South American continent. So he was very comp, he knew what he was doing, he was very... Um, Confident in his work and, and in what he had done. And so Cortez is reported to have done what he is reported to have done next. I'm going to be real honest, a little maniacal. It's a little crazy. It's a little nuts. It's a little out there, right? But what he is reported to have done next is actually kind of a mythical or mystical story that seems really uh, 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 fascinating because what he did next is he looked at his, his soldiers, he looked at his sailors, and he said, burn the ships. So they get to the place where they're going to go and they anchor down and they get to a place where Hernan Cortez turns to the people that are fighting with him as they are outnumbered 7,541 people to one and he says, burn the ships. In other words, in essence, he's looking at them and going, retreat is not an option. We either conquer and we set up where we're going to set up and we do what we came here to do or we die trying. There is no retreat. There is no get out. There is no backing up. And his crew, his crew watched their fleet of ships, their home, their food, the place that they called their refuge for, for, for a long time on that voyage. They watched them burn down and fall into the sea in that moment. What an indicative story. What a crazy story of like, dude, you've lost it. Right? Come on, right? Isn't that a crazy story? It's insane. But he was so committed to doing something special and something crazy that he was willing to do the crazy in order to see the miraculous. He was order, willing to do. And I think it's such an indicative or illustrative story of a life with Jesus. Jesus says it like this, uh, carry my cross and follow me. He, he says things like this to people that wanted to follow him. Uh, Let the dead bury the dead, and you follow me. In other words, he's saying, just let things that are gone in your life be gone, and you come after a new life with me. He says things like, if you want to gain your soul, you, have to, you, you can't gain the world and lose your soul. It's the opposite. You gain your soul, and you lose the world. He says things like that, and here's what he's saying. 
Everybody at some point in their life, everybody in this room today, everybody watching online today on our online campus, everybody that pulls this up on podcast or YouTube video uh, over the next week or, or a couple of weeks, the truth of the matter is every single one of us will come to multiple burn the ship moments in your life. Burn the ship. You'll come to a place to where in your faith you have to go, I'm either giving it all up for Jesus or I'm not. There's either a retreat or there's not. There's either I go back on what I said or I don't. You have to come to that place in marriage to where you go, there is no escape hatch. There is no burn the ship. I mean, uh, jump on the ship. I burn the ships. I'm with her for, for life. I'm with him for life. We work through the problems. We get the help we need. That's, you know, you come to those moments. You have to. We all have to, no matter what they look like. And the decision we make in the moment of burn the ships Matters, matters a lot because when we choose that, I just want you to hear me, you're choosing what you will worship and follow. So when I choose to burn the ships in a relationship with Jesus, like, hey, God, I'm all in. I give you all I got. There is no retreat. Even when it gets hard, I'm on the island with you. God, even when it's tough, I'm walking it out. God, even when it's good, I'm not abandoning you because it's all from you. God, I'll, I'll live by your word. I'll do what you say. And you know what I'm saying? It's, it's I am committing to follow you. I am committing to worship you. I am committing to burn the ships. There is no retreat. And what I want to talk about over the next several weeks is the idea that if we don't burn the ships, then there are idols that creep up and take the place of God in our lives. In fact, in, in, in Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, chapter 20, in verses 3 through 4, there's this moment that takes place with Moses and God, and he gives what he is affectionately called the Ten Commandments, and after meeting with God and having a conversation with God. And he's in these moments, and he's having these conversations, and the first one he says, he, he tells Moses this, he says, you should have no other gods before me. And he even says this little statement that is missed, and, and I'll, I'll tell you why it's key to pick up on. He says, you should not create any idols that you will worship. Why does he say that? Well, he wants our attention. He wants our love. He wants our heart. He wants us. Yes. However, you've got to remember the Israelites just came out of Egyptian slavery. For decades, they were, they, they were slaves and they were uh, tormented and they had to become a part of the Egyptian culture. And in the Egyptian culture in that day, there was literally a god, a lowercase god, an idol for every neighborhood you could think of. You could turn the corner and go to a, a, neighborhood A instead of neighborhood B and there's a new God over there. There was a God for anything that you wanted to worship. There was a God of fertility. There was a God of uh, provision. There was a God of this. There's a God of sex. There was a God of all kinds of things. Why? Because they worshiped the God that they wanted the most from in that moment. And that is, that is an idol. Idols are created out of selfishness. Idols are little gods that we create to meet the needs that we feel like we have in that moment when they're not needs, they're wants. God, I want more money. God, I want more of this. God, I want more of that. And, and there's literally a God everywhere. And so he goes, listen, I know you just came out of, of living in a place where you're literally surrounded by hundreds of gods. And there's different sacrifices and there's different things. And I know whenever you want this, you go to that God. And you want this, you go to that God. And you want that, you go to that God. But he's saying, I am all of that. 
Don't put any God before me. Don't put any God ahead of me. Don't do all those things. And the truth is, a lot of what becomes little gods or idols in our lives, there's nothing wrong with the things. There's nothing wrong with, because the truth is, your spouse can be an idol. Your kids can be an idol. Your job can be an idol. Even things we don't think should be idols can become idols. Negativity can become an idol. Unforgiveness can become an idol. Victim mentality becomes an idol. Well, how is it an idol? Because I put more attention and focus on that than I do on who God is. Whatever you worship or follow is your God. And the truth of the matter is, is we can allow these things to take place. And what normally happens is we create gods based on what we want. And God's going, I know what you want, but I can be what you want and what you need. You don't have to go to every other God. I am the God of gods. I am the King of kings. I am the Lord of lords. And I forgive and I provide and I do it all for you. And the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes we create gods and we're not even trying to. And here's the thing. They may not be bad things, but a good thing in the wrong place is a problem. A good thing in the wrong place. Everything has to fall under God. Do you know that your marriage is after God? Hear me. I love my wife. I would not be anything without my wife. She teaches me so much every day, and I love her so well, so greatly. My whole life, like, it's, I could just go on about how amazing my wife is. But the truth is, is she has to come after God. And I love my kids. My three kids, they're incredible and amazing and, and phenomenal, but they have to come after God. I love you. Radiate Church, I love you. I've dedicated my life to building this church. I've de dedicated my life to pointing you closer to the cross. I've dedicated my life to growing this thing and making an impact for the kingdom of God everywhere we go. I've dedicated my life not to filling chairs, but to sending disciples. I've dedicated my life to this. But you come after God. And you come after family. Because a good thing, you're a good thing. You're good people. Like you can do that. You can, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm a, you're good people and you're a great church. But a good thing in the wrong place is a bad thing. And it creates bad things. And so I want to I give you three quick thoughts today about idols. And then we're going to have a prayer and, and response time uh, at the end of the message today. Because, but, but I want to flip over to Exodus chapter 32. Is where we're really going to kind of hang a little bit today. Uh, and I'm going to go through these quick. But I want, I want to recap everything again real fast to take us into the context of Scripture. Um, in Exodus, you see Moses and the Israelites are delivered out of uh, Egyptian slavery. And they're learning how to get out of a victim mentality or slavery mentality. And um, they're led into a wilderness uh, for decades. Um, they're led into a wilderness to go into the promised land. And the original intent was not to be there for decades. But when you rebel against God enough, there comes a moment where you have to learn a lesson. And so there's some things that take place. And they end up being in the wilderness for a while before they get to the promised land. And the, kind of one of the crazy parts of that story is an entire generation of people had to die before the promised land could be inhabited. Because rebellion drives you further from God and his promises. And so they're in this thing, and, and so Moses, the pastor, Pastor Moses, right? Pastor Moses goes up to the mountaintop, and he's meeting with God. 
And he's having a conversation to get clear, clear direction and clear guidance and to meet with the father of the universe because it's not about how well we lead. It's about how well we follow him and lead from that. Amen? And so he's having this conversation. He's literally on a mountaintop with God. He's literally talking to the God of the universe, and he starts coming down, right? And he sees his executive pastor. We have a great executive pastor here at Radiate Church. Uh, but he sees his executive pastor at the bottom of the mountain with his congregation, the Holy Church of Israel. And as he sees them, he begins, and we're going to pick up in this in just a minute. He sees them worshiping a God that they created. So Moses, can you just... See what's happening? Moses is meeting with God, and they're tired of waiting, so they create their own God, and they're worshiping. Let's pick up in Exodus 32, 19 through 20. It says, And it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp uh, that he saw the calf and the dancing. He didn't even have to get in the camp yet. He wasn't even where they were yet. It was big enough and bright enough and sparkly enough to where he saw the calf, the golden calf, because they took off gold and they sacrificed their belongings to create a God that they thought they needed. To create a God they wanted. Listen, you can worship a lot of things you want, but there's only one God that can give you what you want and what you need. And that is the God of the universe. And he's walking down the mountain, meeting with God. He's on this spiritual high, this holy moment, and he sees them dancing, and he sees them worshiping this golden calf. And it says, I love this part about Moses, and Moses' anger burned. Can you put yourself in his moment? I know how he feels. I'm a pastor, and there's moments in my life I just want to go up to some people and go, were you even listening to me last week? Or like, you've been in this church for nine and a half years. Like, do you have any, no have you listened to anything? You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm, y'all looking at me like, I'm, I'm too holy to think like that, pastor. I don't, I don't do that. Yeah, right. You know what, you know, famous phrase around here, especially in the South, right? In one ear and what? Yeah, there's some people, I want to go on Facebook and just be like, what are you doing? I'm just going to start posting links to previous messages. That's all I'm going to, I'm not going to say a word. Just, here's, just go watch this, please. It'd be great. Amazing. Probably help you. Might even remind you of something you've heard before. But just maybe. You know. But think about Moses. He's leading the Israelites the best that he can. We're having fun for a moment, but can you imagine the anger? He's like, we just got out of slavery. I am literally meeting with God to figure out how to lead you. And you're like, nah, we're good. Give me gold. Give me a calf that can't even move. And it can't move. And it can't become a steak. Like, I, I don't trust a cow that can't become a steak. And they're like, we're good. I can, and it says he burned with anger, and he threw the tablets, or the Ten Commandments, from his hands, and he shattered them. I'm like, yeah, Moses, let's go. He's like, I just got all this direction, and I'm ticked about this thing. And he shattered them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf. Y'all, Moses is crazy, actually. It says he took the calf, which they made, and he burned it with fire, and he ground it into a powder, Y'all, this is nuts. And he scattered it over the surface of the water, and he made the sons of Israel drink it. Don't worry, we're not giving out any cups of water around here today. That's how weird groups of people come together. Anyway, but there is some lessons 
to be had in this entire thing. The number one thing we have to know about idols, because I know some of you are dealing with idols today. You walked in here and your spouse is an idol or your kids are an idol or money is an idol or possessions are an idol or work is an idol or you know, fame is an idol or whatever, right? We're going to talk about a lot of those things over the next several weeks. But here's what the first thing you got to do based on those scriptures is this. You have to learn to identify the idols in your life. You have to learn to identify what they are. You have to learn to know what you're doing. Because here's a, here's a thought for you is what we are searching for and what we are chasing after What we are searching for and what we are chasing after reveals the God that is winning our hearts. Let me say it again. What I'm searching for and what I'm chasing after reveals the God that is winning my heart. Where do I get my identification from? Where do I get my purpose from? Where do I get those? What am I chasing after? What am I searching for? If I spend more time chasing after money than God, then there's your idol. If I spend more time uh, going to my wife for opinions than I do God, then there's an I, you, Are you with me today? And here's a few questions I have for you because we're going to go through these fast. How to tell that something may be entering idol status in your life. is this. What gets your head's attention and your heart's affection? It's a great question to ask. Because by answering that question, you're now identifying what you worship. What gets my head's attention? What draws me to that thing? That's where negativity, some of us have the idol of negativity and of bitterness and of victim mentality because what gets our attention is drama, negativity. I got to state my opinion. Sometimes we don't need to talk to be heard. We need to, we need to talk to offer clarity. Okay. So what gets my head's attention and what gets my heart's affection? Like what gets me pumped up? Now, listen, again, there's nothing wrong with being pumped up about, like, football and your spouse. Like, y'all, I adore my wife. Like, one of the things I literally live for is creating date nights and trips and going off with her and having fun, spending time with her. Like, that excites me and that gets my heart's affection, but it's not more than spending time with God. It can't be. So what gets my head's attention, my heart's affection? Here's another question. What gets the passion that you should be giving to God? What gets the passion? What, what, what makes my, this is an old country phrase, what makes your heart pump peanut butter? Right? What gets your passion? What gets your, oh, let's go, I'm going to run through a brick wall. Oh, is it football or is it God? What takes the energy that I should be giving in worship and places it somewhere else? See, most of us, it's not that we don't want to worship, it's that we come in so drained from everything else we have worshipped. We got nothing left to give, right? So what gets the passion I should be giving God? Here's another one. What takes your time away from God? Oh, man, I, God, I've had such a busy week, and work's been crazy, and I hadn't talked to you in seven days, and, and seven days turns into 14, and 14 turns into 21, and 21 turns into 28, and it just becomes more and more and more. Y'all know what I'm talking about, and life just gets crazy. And I just want to say, if something is consistently taking your time away from God, it is entering idle status in your life. Maybe it's the boyfriend, all you, all you uh, high school and, and college students in the room. Maybe it's the girlfriend. Maybe it's the spouse. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's this and all this stuff. Because the enemy doesn't have to destroy you if he can distract you. If he can keep you busy, then you'll put God on the back burner every time. Here's another question as I move on to number two. Is this, what do you trust more? Or let me say it this way. 
what or who do you run to first? That's your God. Can, can I get real, just brass tacks with you for a minute? If the first thing you run to is social media, that is your God. If your validation comes from that, that is your God. If the first thing you run to is a spouse, they are your God. It's just an indication of who has your head's attention and your heart's affection. And we're all going to struggle with idols. It's not ever going to completely go away. But we have to know the target if we're going to take them down, which leads me to point number two is this. Identify the idols and then tear down the idols. Exodus chapter 34 verses 11 through 14 says this. Be sure to observe what, I've commanding, uh, what I am commanding you this day. Behold, right? It's God speaking. Behold, I am going to drive out the Amorite before you and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. All the ites are gone. And he says this in verse 12. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. In other words, don't worship the land you're going to more than the person that gave it to you in the first place. Don't worship the land you're going to. Don't make promises to them more than you make to me. Don't, get, don't you walk into that pay raise and worship that paycheck more than you worship the one that gave it to you. Don't you walk into that job and worship it more than the one they gave it to you. You see what I'm saying today, right? Don't walk into the land and make a covenant with the inhabitants. And then in verse 13 it says, But rather you are to tear down their altars. You are to smash their sacred pillars and cut down their asherim. For you shall not worship any other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Tear down the idols that take place of where God is supposed to sit. Tear down the idols. Tear down existing idols so that you won't be tempted to worship them. This is your real burn the ships moment. It's one thing to identify what the problem is. It's a completely different thing to go, am I willing to put God above it? And watch this. What you have the hardest time really submitting to God is fighting for first place. Whatever it is. Doesn't matter what it is. It, it, it can be anything. And this is your real, and I love that in the Bible, God actually gives us some principles that protect us from idols. Think about it like this. We, look, we tend to look and go, tithe is 10% of our money, right? Tithe is 10% of everything we bring in, and we're called in the Old Testament, the New Testament. Uh, uh, they talked about it in Malachi, and Jesus talked about it. In fact, Jesus said, don't just give your 10%, give above and beyond that. Fund what God is doing in the church. Fund your local church. It's literally an Old and New Testament principle all the way around. And here's the truth, right? That, we look at that and go, well, that's just God trying to pay the bills of the church. No, that's God trying to keep money from becoming your God. Because if I won't let go of it, it won't let go of me. It's gripping me. I'm worshiping it. I'm doing everything I can for more money and more things and more stuff. And God's just going, if you'll just create a practice. Because here's the truth. I can't love money more than God when he gets it first. Are you with me? See how it's a protection against the God of what they call in the Bible. It's one of the few gods Jesus called out. Uh, the God called mammon or money. Here, here's another one, a, a, a prayer. I can't listen to everybody else whenever I first listen to God the most. It's hard for me to bank on everybody else's opinions whenever his gets the first and the most. I can't give my, here's another one, worship. I can't give my focus to everybody whenever my focus is first on him. 
Worship focuses our heart towards the Savior. Worship isn't about drums and guitars and songs that we know and like. Worship is about a focusing our attention towards God. I can't, if, if worship is, is, is protecting me from everybody else becoming my God. Here, here's the last one, love, right? I can't love other, everything else more when his love is where my love flows from. It's protecting me from these things. And then once you wage war, and you say, I'm going to cut this down, the hardest part, here's the other one, is you identify it, you knock it down, and then you move on to a new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says it like this. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing in his second letter to the church in Corinth, and he tells them something that ought to fire you up today. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things pass away, and behold, new things have come. See, once we've gotten to a place where we're tearing down our idols and we'll tear down our religions and we'll tear down all this stuff and it's just God and me and it's relationship and we get to all this stuff and we get to a place where we're tearing it down. Now we've gotten to a place where God takes his seat on the throne of our lives. And watch this. Now who I was is dead. Come on, somebody. Who you are, I, you need to understand today that who you were does not define you. Who you were is dead. The sin you walked in is dead. It's no longer there. When I give my life to Jesus, who I was is gone. Who I was is a memory. Who I was may have developed me, but it doesn't define me. Who I was is, is what I did, and it's how, it, how I went. But the moment I submitted and I put God on the throne of my life, and I put everything else under him, and he became my God, and he became my focus, then the reality is now, now who I'm going to be is redeemed and restored. Who I'm going to be is in love and anointed and it's put into place through God. Some of you need to understand today that you're holding on to who you were. you got anxiety because of what you've done. You're in depression because of what happened. And I'm here to tell you it's dead. It's not there. It's gone. You are a new creation. You are a new creature. That ought to set us free today. To just go, no, I'm not that. And I love how after miracles, Jesus would consistently say a phrase. I think of the woman that, that was caught in adultery and they were trying to stone her. And he said, hey, if you have no sin, you throw the first stone. And nobody threw the stone. And he looks at her and he goes, your sins are forgiven. And then he makes this statement. Go and sin no more. In other words, who you were is dead. But who you're going to be is just beginning to breathe. It's just meaning because your past meets its death when you put it in God's hands. But your, your future meets its life when you embrace the resurrection of Jesus. So man, identify them, tear them down, and then move on to a new life that is restored and redeemed with God. At this time... We're going to do something a little different. On your seat, somewhere around you, you'll see a little card. It's got, it says, no more idols on it. With a blank, blank piece or blank spot. Then throughout this message, I watched it at 8.30. I've seen it in my spirit for weeks. Throughout this service, God's been speaking like you know what your idol is. Idols, maybe. Maybe you're at a place where you just got all that straight and it's good. But I need to tell you that God is in the business today of setting some people free. 
And so what I want you to do is maybe write down in that blank spot what it is. I don't, you don't have to share it. You don't have to give it. You, you, it's just you. And then at this time, our prayer team is going to come down to the front. They're going to go ahead and get set up across the front of this stage. And I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, that word is not the end of the service. It's the beginning of ministry. And it's where you, some of you, you need prayer. And that's okay. The Bible actually says you need the laying on of the hands of the elders. We all need that. I need it. You need it. I stood in a service this week at a pastor's conference. And, past, and I had a group of pastors just lay their hands on my shoulders and pray over me. We all need it. And when I say amen, that's your call to action. To go, I'm going to respond to what God's saying to me. And I just need somebody to pray with me. Somebody to carry this with me. And we're going we're gonna to sing a song and we're going to worship. And then we're going to dismiss. And we're going to go out and we're going to change the world. So if you would just stand to your feet with me real quick. Stand to your feet. And I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, don't wait on anybody else. Don't look around. It's your moment to come and get some prayer in ministry time today. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for the spirit. And God, thank you that you're knocking on our hearts today. And you're showing us what needs to be done. And God, I pray that we would get rid of some idols. And God, that we put you at your proper place at the top of our lives. In the throne of our hearts. And God, as people are about to flood this altar, as they did at 830, and God, they're going to come down and there's going to be a prayer moment. I pray that freedom takes place. And God, that even if somebody on the team can't get to them, they pour it out to you anyway. And God, we love you. We worship you. And we're going to take a moment to turn our heads' attention and our hearts' affection to you. In your name, amen. This is your moment to worship. And go ahead and respond and come down to this altar and get the prayer that you need. Come on.